We are starting a three-week series of looking at the mission of transformation. Creation is when God takes something in ex nihilo, the Latin term for out of nothing, and makes it. Transformation is when God takes something already there and makes a new thing out of it. Next week, we're going to look at the transformation of a community of people as we look at the book of Acts and they start sharing. One of the great friendships in all of time, we're going to look at in two weeks, Jesus and Simon Peter. And how does Jesus transform his life? But this morning, as we beginning, this is the beginning of our third year of our campaign for Bel Air to raise the resources to complete this site as you see the buildings going up there and to advance the mission of giving a million dollars to helping in a globally as well as downtown and getting the children off the street. And as we take a look at this, we're looking at the transformation of God's temple. The first temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians and, of course, the living temple. That is us who the Holy Spirit lives in. Would you take out your Bible and stand with me for the reading of God's Word and turn to the book of Ezra and the third chapter. It's on page 368 in your pew Bible. Ezra 3, verses 10 through 13. Now, they have been in exile for over 70 years. This generation, some that are very old, remember the old temple. Ezra, the priest, the scribe, has brought them back from captivity in Babylon. And he tells them to continue on in serving the Lord. Some of them weep when they realize what they have gone through and they're released. Others celebrate. If you're visiting, when I get done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And you'll say, thanks be to God. We can trust it. So together, let's read aloud verses 10 through 13. And as you read... Listen carefully, you're reading God's word. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments were stationed to praise the Lord with trumpets. And the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising, giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people responded with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of families, old people who had seen the first house on its foundations, wept with a loud voice when they saw this house, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted so loudly that the sound was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the words you just read never will. What do you want out of life? You decided that this morning when you rolled out of bed. You've got your little plans. You think how to achieve your goals. Someone said, if you really want to make God laugh, Tell him your plans, you know, and as we come together and we try to say, Lord, how do you want to lead me? So I also say, be careful of what you wish and pray for because God might give it. And that's particularly too in relationships. I'm sure you were uh, told of the older couple that were celebrating their 40th anniversary and they were sitting in a little cafe and all of a sudden the marriage fairy, poof, appeared. And the marriage fairy said, you each get a wish. And the woman said, we've been married so long, I wish we never had a cruise. I'd like a first-class cruise with everything. Poof, she had the ticket. And the fairy turned to the gentleman and said, what would you like? He said, wow. He said, well, I don't want to disappoint you, honey, but, you know, I'm still pretty virile at my age, and I wish 
I was married to someone who was 30 years younger, and poof, he was 96. <laughs> you have to be very careful in what you wish for. And you know, as we come and we take a look at life, what does God wish? What does He want? And one of the great desires that God has time and time throughout Scripture is finish what you started. It is very good to have a great beginning. I have won the first hundred yards of many a marathon that I have run in. <laughs> what matters is how you finish. And Ezra, as he is calling the people, they have been in exile. They were born in Babylon and now Persia. They are 1.5 generations. They have, many of them have never seen this land after its destruction. Some of them are old enough from the time of looking back when the Babylonians came in. But Ezra, the great priest, who probably compiled the Old Testament up to that point, calls to them and says three things that the Lord says to us this morning as we take a look at this mission. Come back to the land, return to the land, return to the work that you were doing so that you can return to the Lord. The great law of return. And if, whether, if you're visiting, this will certainly apply to your home church. And if you don't have a home church, get one. But if certainly for us as Bel Air, as we go into this third year of this campaign for Bel Air, I think the Lord says to us that we need to finish this site so that we can complete this and to advance the mission as we go ahead. And Bel Air, if we're going to try to help transform this city seriously into the greatest city for Christ in America, that means we're going to have to work with other churches and ministries. And you and I know that transformation begins, first of all, right here. And when we put our oar into the water and commit to a local place, and the four commitments we have to worship and the small groups, which you can sign up for, to serving the body and reaching out to the city downtown as well as around the world, then the Holy Spirit literally releases the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. You don't have to try to pump these things up. And life becomes sweet. Well, let's take a look at this. If you've got your Bible, turn over to Ezra into the first chapter. It's on page 366 in your pew Bible. And this remarkable story of God's people coming back. Now, it's a little confusing, the chronology... Bible chronology is fairly easy for you to get one point. In the year 1000 B.C., David was sitting upon the throne. In 922, the kingdoms divided after Solomon's death to the north and the south. 200 years later, the northern ten tribes were destroyed by the great Assyrian Empire and taken away forever. Later, in 586, the Babylonians came in and Judah and Benjamin, the two last tribes, were taken into captivity. Judaism was born then. How do you worship God without the temple? And now Ezra is being told to go back with the first time the word Messiah, anointed, is used, is used of a Gentile king, Cyrus of Persia. Look at verse 1. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia so that he sent a herald throughout his kingdom and also a written edict and declared, Thus says King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem and Judah. Any of those among you or of his people, may their Lord God be their name, are now permitted to go to Jerusalem and Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, 
The God of Israel, He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let all survivors in whatever place they reside be assisted by the people of their place with silver and gold, goods with animals, besides free will offerings for the house of God in Jerusalem. Well, Cyrus didn't do this alone for the Jews. They're now being called the Jews, no longer the children of Israel, because just the two of the tribes, Judaism, is taking place. He also did a law of return for a lot of the others. The Babylonians took everybody captive so there wouldn't be any revolts. The Persians, the Babylonians fell to the Medes, and the Persians beat up the Medes, and this is the largest empire to date, said, you know, it's smarter to let the people go back and just tax them, because we want their money. And so they allowed them to go back. But he has a particular burden for Jerusalem. And so he sends Ezra back. Now Ezra will go back and then Nehemiah. If you're Jewish friends, this is one book. By the way, you'll notice up at the top of the page, the end of Second Chronicles 36.22, is identical in wording to the first chapter, the first verse. Because probably the writer of the Chronicles also wrote Ezra and Nehemiah together who reduced it to writing. And so he's saying, go back and return. Now, this is a literal call for them. It's a symbolic call for you and me. But it is every bit as authoritative and serious. Over and over, God says, you will be blessed by me when you return to the land. And that means when you are connected together. Christianity has no concept of a privatized religion. You believe what you want, you live your life kind of a new age thing. Uh-uh-uh. You cannot be a Christian and not be committed to a part of the body of Christ. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity that is out there. And so, why God, when he brings, remember, Adam, and brings him together from the dust of the ground, then he breathes his breath into him and he becomes Nefesh, a living soul. When Ezekiel takes the dry bones and brings them together in the valley, then the Lord clothes them with flesh and they become alive. When Jesus, the only miracle outside of walking on the water that's recorded in all four Gospels, when he feeds them with the multiplication of the fish and the loaves, it says when they had gathered together and sat down, then the miracle can take place. When they're gathered in Pentecost together in the upper room, then the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Pick up a little bit of a pattern here that God calls you and me to do exactly what you're doing, to come together in corporate worship. But that's just the first start. You've got to be connected together and making a commitment, putting your oar into the water spiritually and time-wise and also financially. Why do we avoid joining churches with our whole hearts? Well, first of all, because it's got a lot of wacky people in it, you know? <laughs> Second of all, that, you know, I like to keep my options open. It's just like some of us, you know, when you first graduate from college, the trick is to open every door in the world without walking through any of them, just to see if something better comes along. That's a fun thing when you're entering the marketplace. That's a deadly strategy spiritually. And why would we not come back? Because the great trick of the evil one. Satan really only has two great hammers to beat your head with. Discouragement through accusation, you loser. Satan means the great accuser. God couldn't love you. Look what you did. And the second thing is diversion. And this is hardly hard for Satan to divert us as Americans. We have the attention span of a flashbulb. They have just done again Harvard Business, the number one interruption to business worldwide. 
and the other came back without even a close second. The telephone. The telephone, particularly with cell phones now, interrupts the daily flow of business more than anything else. Except in America. You know what our CEOs say the number one diversion is? Shifting priorities. Attempting too much. We as Americans commit to so many different things that this comes up and this comes up and we're running around. We're just a culture of ADD running out there. And the church is no different. And that's why it's, and there's so many great causes and possibilities and appeals. Wonderful. But you find one. And I'm speaking for those that call Bel Air their home and put your oar into the water. Because Satan's always going to try to get you aside. How does he do it? He didn't come up and go, hey, you want to be a crack addict? Um, <laughs> though with some of you he might. But uh, he gives you the wrong good. As they say, the longer we walk with Christ, the temptation isn't to do evil, but to do the wrong good, Augustine says. Good is good. The best is the best. And only God knows where you individually, and you can't have the best unless you're connected. Yogi Berra, one of the greatest catchers of all time. And I'm sure you know, catchers are calling the pitches out there. It's not the pitcher. And he had this motor mouth. He had some of the best sayings. You know, I love his deja vu all over again. You know, he's just always... His mouth was just running, one, to cheer the Yankees, but also to divert and distract the other team. Hank Aaron stepped up at that time, was the great hitter for the Milwaukee Braves at that time. And as he came walking up, Barra's sitting there as a catcher going, you know, Henry, you don't know how to, Henry, you don't know how to hold the bat. You've got to hold it so that you can read the seal. And Hank Aaron didn't say a thing, and he pitched it, and he just crushed it into the left stands. And before he ran a homer, he turned, dropped the bat and said to Yogi Berra, I didn't come here to read. And went to first base and second and third and back in. Um, well, we're going along and Satan says, Oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. You got it all wrong. Just mellow out. When you wake up in the morning and all the demands and all the appointments and all those voices come ringing and all the things, just turn to your heavenly Father first and have his arm. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are tired and heavy burdened and stressed out, and I will give you shalom, rest to your life. And that rest comes, ironically, when you learn to focus. A laser beam that can bust through a quarter-inch steel has no more photons than one of these 150-watt bulbs. It's just focused. I had the scientists tell me that a square mile of fog does not have enough water to fill one pitcher. It's just that dispersed. And you don't have to have a lot of things going bad in your life for Satan to fog your life out. Just have you running in every direction. And that's why committing to a place. Whether Bel Air or not, I'd love to have you be a part of it. Find some church. But if you are attending here, and this is your home church, then I want you involved in these small groups, and I want you financially involved. Now, some of you are so generous. It is unbelievable. Some of you are downright tight. We have a lot of deep pockets around here with a lot of short arms. I want to tell you that. <laughs> and it's not all about, it's not just about, this morning I'm not here just after your money, though I am after that, is it's about a question of saying, where do I belong to the Lord? And you can have a great amount of busyness in your life. But that Holy Spirit release of the fruit, it's not about buying God. It's about trusting Him. 
If you have made a commitment to the campaign for Bel Air, praise the Lord. Some of you have already fulfilled it. That is just way cool. Some of you are still in the process. Some of you haven't made a commitment yet, and you might want to. Now, this is above and beyond giving to the operating budget. This is for trying to help to complete this site and is the money that we're giving to missions and to move ahead. But remember, as Ezra says, you have to return to the land, first of all, and focus. You know, why would they not come back? Because life in exile can be good. We adjust. God gives us this great gift and this great cursing called the ability to adapt. And so many of us have adapted to lesser lives. You can get by, but at least you're getting by. I had a couple come in a month ago or maybe two months ago from some marital counseling. And uh, first of all, I'm not a counselor. And I've told you that when they share their problems, I just go bummer. But uh, as they came in and they were fighting and yelling at each other. And I started to talk about, about communicating techniques. They didn't want to talk about their relationship. They wanted to talk about their kid. And I said, do you guys notice how much you fight? And they go, well, yeah, we yell a lot. But, you know, at least we're talking. What does that mean, you know? They're just talking, but they're talking meanly to each other. But they'd learned that's how their, their whole conflict was on the basis of conflict. There's a better way to live life. And we can be this great herd that is out there, the great American church, that just goes from water hole to water hole like a bunch of cattle out there, just kind of going along till the latest thing comes up. Or we can say, you know, I want to commit in. And when that happens, just like Ezra finds out, that the Lord starts to release this joy. Look over in the third chapter, page 367. So when they have come back, this ability of, of coming back to the land has also, though, returned to the work. Now, when the seventh month came and the Israelites were in towns, the people gathered together in Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, with his kin, set out to build the altar of the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings on as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. Now, pause. They are not in Jerusalem yet. It's destroyed, and all the people that have taken over the last two generations don't want them back. So they come to Jerusalem and they start to lay the foundation for the temple. Verse 3. They set up the altar on its foundation because they were in dread of the neighboring peoples and they offered burnt offerings upon it to the Lord, morning and evening. And they kept the festival of booths as prescribed. And they offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the ordinance as required for each day. And after that, the regular burnt offerings the offerings of the new moon and all the sacred festivals of the Lord, the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not yet been laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters, to food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and to the Tyrians from Tyre, to bring cider, cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from King Cyrus of Persia. Now what they are doing is they first of all are returning to the land and now they're getting back to the job of rebuilding. This is a very scary time. This would be like if I said, I, good news, you've won a new house. It just happens to be in the suburbs of Baghdad. <laughs> and going back and saying, wow. Uh, and as they are going back, they, they first think their hearts are going to the Lord and they're offering to the Lord everything. Sometimes God calls us back to finish work, not just what tasks, but sometimes relationships. 
Sometimes God asks us to go back to do some tough things that we walked away and we didn't finish, like trying to make peace with people. I remember there was one minister who was saying the meanest things about me, and they, they were not true this time, and <laughs> it was just destroying, and it was just making me so mad, you know, and, and so I called up to set up an appointment to take him to lunch and to say, I'm sorry if somehow I offended you, and the secretary basically said, oh, this is Reverend Brewer, is it true you killed Bambi's mother, you know, and stuff like uh, questions, and I said, no, and so we got together, and I said, if I've offended you, I'm sorry, and he said, well, okay, let's just make peace. Well, he kept saying mean things after that. But you know what's funny? It didn't bother me. Before, it used to just gyrate me and fire up my jet. Sometimes you need to go back to people and say, would you forgive me? Don't expect you're going to take vacations together. But when you go back and finish, in the sense of tying off what was torn, it's remarkable how the Lord sometimes uses that. Sometimes it's going back and facing tough situations. As, as the children now of Judah are going back and building, that they are finding out that they have to finish this work. That is why it is so important that we learn what success is all about. When is something successful? I think, and I heard a while ago, that success is the realization of a God-given dream. Success starts right then in the first step towards it. When is a successful pitch? Is it when it goes across the plate or is it when it's left that pitcher's hand? And the answer is yes. When does a flight take place of one of these ICBMs? It's when it goes out of the silo long before it hits. When success begins is when you turn and you say, Lord, I'm going to honor you. Even before you've accomplished what you set out to do, you're already enjoying it. You can kind of sit back and rest in what God's going to do. I had a lady who told me that... <laughs> Her friend just went, they went together to Weight Watchers, and she's going to get in shape this summer. And she said, I can't wait to go home and not eat. This is great. In other words, she was just so pumped up to go, and she was already feeling that success about it. I know success is of, as Carolyn's father told me, he was an alcoholic, that he remembers after all those years of the booze and being a slave of it, he remembers that the last scotch he ordered and when he put it down. He didn't know for sure it would ever be the last but he started to, at that moment, say, I am free. When was success? Was it a year later when he'd stayed dry and he's celebrating like his 20th anniversary of staying dry? No, the success started that moment that that dream hit him. And that's why, Bel Air, God is putting things in your heart, as well as us together as a church. And success happens when you turn around and start to walk in that way. Keep on keeping on. Finish the race put before us, Hebrews says. Do not put your hand to the plow, Jesus said, and turn back and long and say, wow, I don't know if I should do this. You keep moving on. And by God's power and grace, then he starts to release this. Aren't half-finished things terrible? I went uh, fishing with our small group, uh, and I haven't fished in the Pacific for a while, like ever. And uh, it was fun. I actually snagged something. I was bringing it up, and I was coming up to the boat, and it got off the hook. And you should have seen it, because it was huge. But... <laughs> It did no good without bringing it in. How about halfway into something? Have you ever seen a half-finished wedding? I've only done one out of maybe 500 weddings. This was a while ago. This poor groom had such bad stomach flu, he had to keep running out of the sanctuary. And he came back in and he said, let's just finish it up. And I said, you may kiss the bride. And she went, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Um. 
That's a bad day. How about halfway getting through college or halfway liberating somebody, but they're not all the way free? How about halfway getting a great start to a mission but not finishing it? And by God's grace, Bel Air, we're here to finish this side and to advance the mission. And we can start enjoying that. Can you already see that fellowship hall over there? How great it's going to be. We're going to be walking out there and every one of you has your own jacuzzi. It's just going to be in... No. No, you're not going to have that. But what a great time it's going to be. The new adult discipleship that we can do in gathering. This new building for our children. My gosh, they're stacked like cordwood down here in these trailers. And to be able to actually reach out to the neighbors. Can you see after this completing the south side, the things we're thinking there? And the Lord willing, our first mission church coming up in like three years. And can you see us connecting together with more of these churches that we're doing together and really seeing God is doing some stunning things we're going to be sharing about. And it all starts with the next step. And the next step is some of you have never committed before. If you want to, and this is between you and the Lord, I will never tell you what to give to the Lord. That's between you and Jesus. And I'll never tell you where to give your money. That's between you and Christ. I will tell you this. If you're a part of this church, I want something coming here fairly seriously. Why? Not because we need the money. I need your heart. I need you to be in this team. And Jesus many times said, your heart follows your treasure. It is the arrow that shoots that you get toggled to that the rest of your life follows. And that's why it is so freeing to be able to honor the Lord in that way. And you know, as we take a look, as, as Ezra says to his people that give to the Lord what belongs to him. Now, I know there's a lot of charlatans out there. There are so many flakes out there in the body of Christ. They're trying to get your money and they just use it for themselves. And I want to tell you, when they meet Jesus, and I believe they're saved, at least a lot of them. A lot of them probably are not. They're going to have to do some ex serious explaining. And they're... And though they're saved, I think they're going to be standing there after the Holy Spirit burns away the sin of everything they thought they were doing for God, they were just doing for themselves. They're going to be standing there in their spiritual fruit of the loom. And you pray for them in that sense. But I will also say this. Most Americans, and some of you give so generously, we are so stinking rich compared to the world, the poorest of us in here. And some of our brothers and sisters downtown and around the world, and all God asks is for us to take that 10% and to honor Him with it. And it always comes down to, can you do more with 100% of what God has loaned to you than He can with 90%? It's not how much of your money you're going to give to God. It's how much of God's money you're going to keep. Because it's all His and it all goes back in the box at the end. I had a favorite greasy spoon I used to go to in the morning, uh, they just had the best chicken fried steak. But anyway, uh, and this new waitress came, and I gave her the money, and she brought back just about half of the amount that I had given to her, and I pointed it out to her, and she said, I'm sorry, just so busy, and, you know, I understood. Until she did it again the next week. And I said, she's actually trying to steal my money, and nobody steals my money but my children. You know what I felt at that moment? is probably what God feels about a lot of us. It's so sad because he wants to give us a freedom and a peace and a blessing of when you honor him. We just hold on to that almighty shekel so much. 
And when you give to God, every time I've given to the Lord, I don't all of a sudden wake up in the morning and surprise, you've won Clearinghouse Sweepstakes. No, and every time we write a check, it's not like, wee, isn't that fun? But I will tell you this. The more we honor the Lord and walk with Him, the more that there really is a release of that fruit in our life. And that's what's so great, and I thank you so much for helping in this third year to help to complete this that is over here. You know, the temple God wants to really transform. It wasn't the one in Jerusalem or this. These brick and mortar, they're going to be in the, pass away in the dust of time. All church budgets, even all church fundraising letters and brochures will someday pass away. What God cares about is this temple, the one that you're living in, the living temple, that the Spirit of God is in, and He calls us to be able to say to trust Him with it. It's getting life balanced. I remember in grade school, I had this beat-up old Schwinn bicycle. And so it would always come off, and we were always trying to tighten the chain on it. You ever did that? And if you get the axle, the hub off just a little bit so it wobbles, and if you get it, if you don't take the time to stop and get it straight, it's so much harder to pedal a bike when the wheel's going this way. But if you stop and you get that axle so it's the center, the bike rolls so much easier. When you have the Lord as the center of your life, spiritually and time-wise, as well as financially, it's amazing how much easier the bike rolls. And someday in the twinkling of an eye, in front of the Lord, we're all going to stand there, and we're not, everyone's going to buy their way into heaven. It's by God's love, His grace. Who's going to win? How do you win the race that is set before you? Greeks had an interesting competition. It wasn't who got there first in the race. It's where actually the bringing the torch. Everybody got a torch and they ran through the rivers and up over the rocky hills of Greece and up towards Macedonia. And when they came back, whoever had their torch still lit was the winner. Is that the gospel or what? It's not who finishes the fastest or the most famous or with the most toys. It's when we finish is the bright light of the gospel still being shown. Is God calling some of you to return to the land? You're out there as a prodigal daughter, a prodigal son. And you were with Christ, but you know the world somehow pulled you aside. And you're never going to come to your senses until you're eating with the pigs. And then you say, you know, I was so much better with my father. He says, come back, the waiting father. Some of you, the Lord asking you to finish some business. You need to gently go confront somebody or maybe ask their forgiveness. Christ not only goes with you, but the Holy Spirit prepares ahead of time. Do it this week. Is God calling you to commit here? And to say, I want to be a part of this mission and to really join up in finances as well as my time? Praise the Lord for that. Maybe God is calling you to plug up into a mission and a dream that you're so afraid to embrace. Because if you do, it will so change your life. The words of Christ are always, do not be afraid. The words of Christ speak to all of us. Wherever your treasure is, your heart follows. Let's be smart. Let's pray, shall we? Thank you, God, so much for your love and your grace. And God, I thank you that you could love a sinner like me. And God, I do not say that lightly. When I think of the number of things that I have done and said and The disappointments I've had to me, I can't even imagine to you. I'm overwhelmed by your grace, Christ, your blood on that cross, your resurrection, your ascension next to the Father, and your coming back someday. 
And God, I thank you for this family that I am so privileged to pastor called Bel Air Press, for the great men and women that I learned so much from. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would help us to finish the work that you have called us to. By your strength, with your joy, Lord, loving others. And God, I pray that we would be a church not known for how much we do, but for how much we love and the grace that we extend to others. So Lord, as we come before you, I pray that now you would bless this offering as we give it to you. Lord, for those that can just give a little, would you encourage them and show us how to come alongside? For those of us that can give a lot, Lord, help us to know the freedom of honoring you as a steward. And may all the attention go to Jesus Christ. It's for his sake we pray. Amen.